please stand with me and prepare your hearts for the reading of God's word. We'll be spending um, today's passage in Exodus 13, 17 through 22. Exodus 13, 17 through 22. Prepare your hearts to hear the word of Yahweh. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. May God bless the reading of his words to your heart. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O most gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you will use this time to bring forth the truth that you would have us hear, that you would have us understand, and that you would have us apply in our lives. Allow our hearts to be opened, allow our ears to be opened, allow our eyes to see clearly the truth of your word, that we might bring glory to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning's message is titled, This is the Way. In trying to, to, on the front end of this, to give a little bit of context and to get us thinking about what does it mean, the way, we have the opportunity to, to realize that oftentimes as new, creation, uh, excuse me, as new Christians, as new believers, when we come into the faith, we oftentimes bring with us our old interpretations of what life should be, our old way of thinking about the way is what we bring into, and we think, oh, we're, we got this way figured out. We just bring Jesus along. He's kind of like the bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot. If he's your co-pilot, you're in problem. you got a problem. He needs to be the pilot. And so we, we have this understanding of the importance of the way, and, and we think we know it, but we really don't oftentimes. I mean, we're new. This is, we just got here as, as new believers. Fortunately, in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, Jesus talks a little bit about the way, and, and I want to just read to you from this, and I want you to see the contrast between easy and hard, and we're going to focus on easy as an as a understanding of what the way is not. So let's, let me read to you from uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Jesus says, and he's talking to his uh, uh, apostles, his disciples, uh, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So he's contrasting. He says, all right, you got the narrow gate, but be careful because there is a, the, for the gate is wide and the, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So we got, we've got a contrast right there, right away. The, the narrow, uh, it starts off, he doesn't tell you uh, really anything about it, but he starts to talk about this wide gate that is easy and leads to destruction. And then he's going to continue on verse 14. The gate is narrow and the way is hard 
that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So in wanting to understand this way, let's take a look at, which is oftentimes a helpful thing to do, is look at what it's not. The way, the way of God, is not easy. And I, I turned to the American Heritage Dictionary because they seem to do it nicely in little, three little points to give us a little bit more of a robust understanding because we each come into this, every time I said the word easy, you input what you understand that word to mean. Well, let's make sure we're all on the same page before we continue forward. Again, this is the American Heritage Dictionary. The first example they use is, or, or definition is, capable of being accomplished or acquired with ease. Well, that wasn't so helpful. Here's a little more helpful. Posing no difficulty. All right, that's our first one. Posing no difficulty. Number two, likely to happen by accident or without intention. So easy can sometimes look like you just kind of fall into it. I mean, you didn't even, I mean, how'd you get here? I just kind of fell into this. I, it just made, it was available and I did it, whatever it happens to be. Or number three, requiring or exhibiting little effort. We kind of got that one. I think we all were probably on the same page with that one. Or endeavor. And endeavor is, an, is something that you do with intentional effort, contrasting before the fact that you just kind of fell into it. So requiring or exhibiting little effort or endeavor. In other words, it's undemanding. It's easy. It's a real demand on you or me. Well, I tried to think of an example, and I think this is helpful. The way just kind of is the default position of life. We are looking, we are creatures that look for ease in life. The first time I ever stepped foot on it, and it was an adult that I did this, stepped foot on an, uh, they call them uh, airport moving sidewalks. Can you remember the first time you stepped on one of those? Those are the, the it's, it's like a flat floor level escalator. It, it escalates speed, it doesn't bring you up height. And so you step on it and you kind of get one of these and you're like, everyone else is walking, I'm walking, I'm walking very fast, the people on either side are not at all. They're, they're, they're having to pull their luggage and I feel like I'm barely moving and I'm moving like three times the speed I was moving a minute ago. And so I thought that might be helpful as far as that gives you a picture of the wrong way. It's a way that is so easy. It just carries us along in life. It's the default. It's the main current that just brings us in in the stream, and we just go with it. We go with the flow. Well, let me ask you a question. As you look back on your life and you consider lessons that were valuable that you learned, lessons that you still are able to recall years later, that thing that you learned, did they ever occur by way of the easy way? Or as you start to ponder that, are you realizing, oh no, I, I learned this tough lesson in this tough time, and it has stayed with me. In fact, when you see something difficult and you have a child or someone who is less experienced come to you and ask you, so tell me about, and they give you a situation, the easy situations, there's not much to talk about. The hard ones, you got stuff to talk about because you, it, it was so meaningful, so impactful 
in your life. It helped shape who you are today and how you respond to others. Well, today in our study, we're going to study the value of recognizing the hard way, the way, or you might say the necessary way, the necessary way that Christians' lives are bent towards because that's the way God has intended them to be. And if you'll do me a favor, take your bulletin, go to the, le- the back side of it, and you'll see the bulletin outline. I want to make sure that we track on it. Um, you'll see that uh, up at the top underneath the uh, title of the sermon, you, there's a little place that says takeaway. And our takeaway is trust in God's wisdom, his faithfulness, and presence to lead your way forward, my way forward, all of our ways forward. We need to, to look at it and understand it from that perspective. And that, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of fitting that it happens to be in God's providence that we are studying this scripture, and that's what he's teaching here today. And we're on the first day of a new year. How fitting that we could apply this and this year and think to ourselves, this is the year that I'm going to make a more intentional more purposeful year out of following the way. So let's look at bullet point number one there. It says, the God whose wisdom determines the way. And we're going to be in verses 17 and 18. We're going to go through these six verses one more time. It's interesting how it lines up. It just happens to be that each uh, couple of verses carries a, a different point with it. But in Exodus 13, 17 to 18, it states this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God, all right, wait a second. As you're reading, you started in the beginnings of verse, or excuse me, of chapter 13. He keeps using, that's Moses, the writer, inspired by God, keeps referring to God as uh, what you see in all caps in your Bible is Lord. You'll, you'll notice that some of us, when we were reading scripture or whatever, used the word Yahweh. Yahweh is the, the Hebrew word for the all caps of Lord. Well, if there's a change in the name, The author intends there to be a connection to the change in the name he uses for God. So something's going on here. Well, Yahweh means, at its basic, most wooden sense, the self-existent one. I am who am. I'm self-existent. Out of that, we go, wait, if he self-existed, that means all creation came from him. That makes him the creator. And the third point, he's the self-existent creator who by way of Abraham, he visited Abraham, he engaged Abraham, and made a covenant with Abraham. So he's the self-existent God who is the creator, who comes down and has made a covenant or a promise to a people. And so this is what we think of when we get to Yahweh. Well, what happens with the word God? The word is Elohim. And that means, in a very wooden sense, the mighty one. All right, so that means he's moving from really a context of of I am who am and relationship to he is the powerful one. And so Moses is making that just by simply using a different word. So when Pharaoh let the people go, I'll say it this way, the mighty one did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. I think what Moses is doing by doing mighty one is saying, hey, He's in control. He's running the show. He's doing the leading. He's the mighty one. And when he makes the decision, you follow in that decision 
if he if he decrees, so to speak, that decision will be followed. So he, uh, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. Well, that land is the coastal highway. And it leads directly to Canaan, the promised land. It's the, we would use the term, shortcut. You want the fastest route? Pull out your, your Google uh, maps and want to figure out which way? It's the coastal route. It's the way of the Philistines that will get you there quicker. It would make sense. I don't know about you, but when I Google uh, my destination, I like the fastest route. Given traffic or, or whatever, I, ultimately I'm interested in time. Get me there as quickly as possible. He doesn't do that route. And in fact, he says, although it was near, if they would have taken that route, walking by day and by night, they would have been to, the Can- to Canaan, the promised land, in less than two weeks. God doesn't take him that route. And he continues on. And then he's going to give a, a reason. And it says, for God, and we're staying with that mighty concept, for God said, all right, you have to make a decision. You, the reader. You have to be Bereans, as the New Testament talks about. He either says this because he thinks these people are stupid, and so therefore it's, kind of, it's a condescending statement, or he says this because he is compassionate on these people. And I will say that it's, in, in, I believe, without question, it's his compassion. Because remember, at the beginning of Exodus, he, they are crying out to God to intervene and take them out of this situation of slavery. This is the God who has intervened, and he is now delivering them by the exodus, by way of this leaving path. And thus, he is very compassionate in what he does here. Watch this. For God said, lest the people change their minds. In other words, the word there is interesting. It's regret. Is it sometimes used in the, in the Bible? Sometimes it even means repent. If you have a King James Bible, your word actually, excuse me, your Bible actually says repent. I think regret is a better understanding. It's a position of the heart. God has been dealing with Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh has been stubborn on his own, the first five plagues. And then God says, I'm done with you being stubborn. And the next five plagues, it says that God, which is a total of 10, and that's all we have, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It's okay. You're going to play this game of stubborn? I'm going to bring judgment and punishment on you. And so he makes sure for the next five plagues, the last five, that Pharaoh's heart is stubborn, excuse me, is left calloused and hard. So he continues to fight God. We don't find that here. Now we find God being compassionate, and he sees that these people might change their mind and make a a foolish mistake. But it's out of their weakness that they would act. Can you not relate to that, that you make mistakes in times of weakness, lest the people change their minds and they see, the word there is ra'ah, it's the idea of experiential sealing. It's, in, it's, it's engaging. And what are they going to be engaging when they see or engage in war? And what will they do when they do so? They will return back to Egypt. And we know that Egypt is a picture of physical slavery or bondage. But we also know, because we've been studying it, as we think about it ourselves, it's a picture of us returning back to the bondage of sin. And God loves us and doesn't bring us through some paths because he knows that those paths are too great for us. They will overwhelm us in our, at our place in that particular area of our journey with him. But God said, excuse me, in verse 18, but God led the people around by way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, away from Canaan and the promised land. Okay, 
in order to, uh, to appreciate what this just said, you got to have some geography. I'll give you a real quick one. The, way to, the quickest way to Canaan from where they are in Egypt is northeast. What God does when he takes them by the Red Sea, he goes southeast. Now, if you're going southeast and you know you're supposed to go northeast, you know you're going the wrong direction. Uh, God, your gyroscope here uh, is broken. Maybe your compass, you need to shake it and get, to, get us on the right direction. We're going the wrong way. We've got an enemy that for right now is not chasing us. We don't think so anyways. We don't know. We're a day's journey, starting on the second day's journey away from them. Can we just hightail it and get, it out, of, get out of here? That's not what God does. Have you ever been in that situation? You know your objective and your goal you know where you are in this difficulty. If you could just get to that place in the difficulty, then everything would be good. And you're sitting there and you're waiting for God to go that direction. And this difficulty is taking a lot longer than you thought God would allow you to stay in that difficulty. It almost feels like God's got you going the wrong direction. And he doesn't. He doesn't. You see, in this circumstance... The mighty one, that is God, knew that the people were not mentally or spiritually ready for war. They don't have the mindset. They are a gigantic family. They're not a nation yet. They don't have any of what is necessary to go to war. The idea of the construct of, look, you've got to have uh, particular regiments. You've got to have... Um, People who are, or excuse me, that are trained in this area of battle or that area of battle. In fact, when it says here, in the very end of verse 18, it says, And all the people of Israel went up to the land of Egypt equipped for battle. It could say that. And I'm giving you some. It says that in my Bible. It may say that in your Bible. In the Hebrew, there's two different ways that can be taken. It can mean that, but it can also mean in a battle-like manner. In other words, they go out as, and we're going to see this word. This word has been used five times before in Exodus to describe how he's going to send out uh, Israel out of the land. And he keeps using this word that is a military word. He calls Israel, when he's referring to the whole group, his host or the host of Israel. Well, host is a military term. It means to go out in an orderly fashion here. So this is what they're going out. They must even, it might even be odd to them. He's organizing them in such a way to march out so that there's not complete chaos as they march in their exodus. And it's in that sense, it looks military-like. And it will eventually, he has told them, you will be, will be going to war, but you're not ready today for it. How many times have you been in that place where you're like, I want to go there, and you wonder, you know, I, I, I look over at my wife as I'm, I'm preaching here, and I'm thinking, how many times have I gone, ah, I missed that light. If I could just get that light, I would, you know, we'd be on time, and now we're going to be late. And my wife looks at me and goes, God's up to something. And you, know, and you sit there and you go, you know what? I could have gotten an accident. I could have caused an accident. I don't know what it is. But the reality is, is it wasn't my turn. It wasn't my timing. It's God's timing. And we've got to realize that in this journey that we have with God. They don't have a knowledge of what God is planning for their lives. And so they are at the, they have a, a disadvantage that they don't know that. Well, we're in the same disadvantage. We don't know what God wants for our lives. 
And we can sometimes make wrong assessments. Come on, God, can we make this happen now? If God would have allowed them, it says there that there's the very real likelihood they would have been defeated, demoralized, and head back to, to Egypt, which is slavery. That doesn't sound like God being very successful in his plan to save his people. They are saved. They left Egypt, meaning that they have left the, the confines of that, which is the, the mass of people in the metropolis. They are leaving still the land of Egypt. And so in that sense, they are, they, they are saved and they're being saved. Are we not all there by way of we are when we accept Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior saved, and yet are we all not still on an exodus route? We're all learning what it means to engage God and know who this God is and be more and more saved. In other words, we grow further and further away from Egypt, away from sin. They don't know that, but God lovingly knows their hazard, and he keeps them from their hazard. They don't, he does not allow their hazard, the war that they would, they would stand to engage in with the Philistines. They, the Philistines are going to block the route. That, that coastal highway is littered with fortifications by the, Palestine, by the, the Philistines, excuse me, and they are going to engage them. And God says, not now. You're not ready. And so he turns them. Well, how about a little application? Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It would have been many of their death to engage at war at that time. The easy way can sometimes be a snare to us. It seems the most logical, it seems the most efficient, and yet it can be the most harmful. We've got to be reminded about it, that. We need to also be reminded that the long way or the hard way is oftentimes the necessary way. How many of us have learned well the teachings of God on the mountaintop when we've had a success? We're too busy normally celebrating to continue the learning process. We learn in the valleys of life. We learn in the difficulties. And then, hopefully, we don't repeat those. We are made more like the image of Christ, and we move on. We move on knowing that there's another hard way ahead of us. We don't ever arrive in our walk uh, uh, thinking that, oh, if we just get to here, then now life will be easy. If that's your understanding, talk to some of our retired people. They've arrived in the sense of, they now are in a place where they no longer have to go and meet the 40-hour work week. But the difficulties are still there, and they're still real. And they, in their maturity, realize it's a part of the life of God, stripping away the impurities that are me, that I hold on to. And it's the necessary way. God gives us as a people of God to walk this together. But it certainly is a necessary way. So let me ask you. Some of you may be in a difficult position right now, and you're like, all right, pastor, tell me, how do I process through? Well, let me ask you this. As you think of whatever your difficulty is, have you done everything that you are called to do by the Word of God? Have you applied the wisdom that God has given? And then, if you have, are you still stuck in that difficulty? And guess what? you are on 
the way. It's not that you are somehow you did something wrong and you're being punished by God. It's no. You have done what God has called you to do, and God is using this difficulty to grow you, to grow your understanding of who he is. We're going to talk about that in our next point as well. You are where God intends. So you have to ask yourself then, God, I've done everything to get it to remove myself from this situation, and yet I'm here. I have no more control over the situation. It's completely obvious to me that you have complete control. What do you want me to learn? Don't let me waste this. Don't let me repeat this difficulty. I don't want to be here. You can be real and raw with God and let him know that in your time of prayer. But ask him, share with me. What, it is, what is it that I can learn? This hard way is designed to bring value into my life. It's designed to make me more and more into the image of God. Don't let me waste it. So we want to pray. And I, I'll, I'll leave this point on, on this particular note. If you find yourself grumbling, I find myself there too often when it's difficult. I hope this helps you. As I was studying this this week, I thought, you know, Nick, you've got to contextualize this and say this to yourself in the midst of that difficult time. Nick, why is your heart longing for Egypt? Why are you longing to go back to whatever that slavery is. God is, that, that, when I say slavery, that, that sin, that, that component of who I am, who you are, that God is using this difficult time to change. Why is it that that's better, Nick? Why is your heart so off that you long for Egypt instead of longing for what God wants for your life and what is better for your life? Well, the next point is this, the God whose faithfulness is revealed through the way. So we not only see in in point one, we saw that God's wisdom is that which determines our way. As long as we've done everything that we can to make sure we're out of the difficult way, then we know it's God's wisdom that has us in that way. That was point number one. Point number two is this, the God whose faithfulness is revealed in the way. Okay, now we're starting to see some of the value attached to this hard way. It says this in Exodus 13, 19 to 20. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear. Kind of neat in the Hebrew. It actually says swear, swear. It's the same verb, a little different way. It's, it's, it's uh, a little variety of it, but it's the same verb right next to each other, which means there's an emphasis going on. And when we bring it to English, we need to, to understand it. So the, the translators have it translated um, that Joseph made the sons of Israel solemnly swear. That means you swear on your life on an oath to God. You are going to bring my bones with you when we get out of this land of Egypt. That's what Joseph had his brothers do. Guess who all the people are that are standing in front of Moses right now? They're all the descendants of of the, of, the, of the brothers. Therefore, they all, in some sense, have the responsibility to hold on to this promise or this oath that he made them swear. And he says, saying, and this is, the, the, this is Joseph saying, look, you need to swear to bring me out of here, my bones out of here, because, and he goes into this, saying, God will surely visit. 
It's kind of cool. You rarely see this happen to this close in Hebrew that it happens within one sentence of another. He does it again. Moses does it again. He, and it, what he gives here is visit, visit. And the interpreters rightly say that the, the, the emphasis being uh, given here by Moses is God will surely visit. In other words, you've got to know that you know that you know that God's coming for you. And God's going to deliver you out of this land. And when he does, you take my bones with it, with you. I don't, my bones will not stay in this land. He continues on. And you shall carry my bones with you from here. And they, sh- and they, move, and, excuse me, and they moved on from, from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. So I got a question for you. Joseph's dad, Jacob, when he dies, Joseph's in power. He's number two in, in all of Egypt. And Jacob's dad says, hey, take my bone, or excuse me, they take out of, out of custom, out of what was called to happen, out as, a, as a way of what God had inspired them to do, take him, his body, and bury him in, in Canaan. All three, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, all three of the patriarchs are buried in Canaan, they are buried in the promised land. Why are they buried there? Because that's the land that people are going to. It's a way of where your body is, that's where you possess. You possess and hold on to the truths that God has given you. So all three of the patriarchs are buried there. Now you get to Joseph and you go, dude's number two in power. He could have said before he died to the, to the Egyptians, make sure that you allow my people to do what I did with my dad when we started my reign as number two, and you, we make sure that we march back to Canaan and we bury my bones there. And then, when, and then thinking that, okay, when God comes, he's going to take the people. But, but God, using Joseph, God inspiring Joseph, says, no, nah, don't do it that way. You make them pledge an oath that they take your bones when I deliver them. Do you realize what he's doing there? He's saying, you get to participate. You descendants who don't know me, you get to participate in the level of faith, or you might just say, in the faith of Joseph on who I am by demonstrating that you will carry my bones out of there. It's, to me, it's just a, a cool picture of this helps my belief by me participating, if I'm one of them, because I've got this physical thing, this, 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 his bones placed in whatever they placed them in, and we're going to carry them as a people. Why are we carrying them? Because Joseph said that we would make it to, to the promised land. And where are we going again? Oh, we're going to the promised land. Who is this God that's able to do this some 400 years later? Well, that would be Yahweh. That would be Elohim. That would be the God who is all-powerful in Elohim and the God who is covenanted with us that this will take place. You see, when you follow the way, it's hard. But you will see God reveal his faithfulness when you do so. You miss that if you don't follow the hard way. Those difficulties are your opportunity to see that even when it's tough, and I'm like, God, I don't want to do it this way. If I just, if I just do it this way, if I just sin a little sin, it would make it so much easier on my life. You miss the opportunity. You cheat yourself out of seeing the faithfulness. Your 
own relationship is somewhat robbed of who God actually is. Your, God, be, he stays only in the mind, and you don't experience him by walking through these difficult times as he's called you, and watch him carry you, watch him teach you, watch him change you. I'm not the person I was five years ago. Ask my wife. I'm not because of what, who I am as a person. I am different because of who God's faithfulness is. I am less arrogant and demanding of her, at least I hope, a little bit. Yeah, she says a little bit. Uh, but the, po- the point is, I get to experience that because I did what God asked. Not by my own power. I did it by way of the power of God himself. Do not cheat yourself by taking the easy way and allow your intimacy, the, the, the depth of your relationship from God, with God to be robbed. Well, We move on to the God, and this is the final point, the God whose presence leads the way. Let's start in in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. And Yahweh, full stop, we we were talking for the first four four verses, Moses called him uh, God, Elohim. Why are you calling him Yahweh now? Something has to have changed. Moses wants to make a different point. That's why he calls him by a different name. And Yahweh, and interesting, in the Hebrew, it's emphasized. They, when the Hebrews heard it, they would go, ooh, wait, it's out of position where it's supposed to be. He is emphasizing the name change. We're supposed to get this. So we, this, this self-existing God who is the creator overall, who has covenanted with our forefather uh, Abraham, the first patriarch of the three, He is the God being spoken of now. And Yahweh went before them. The idea is there's a relationship. Yahweh's not going before them as some distant, cold, clinical, hey, follow me, I know where to go, we're going this way. No, it's not that. This is the God who is personal. His his presence is there, and he's leading out of love for them. He says this, and Yahweh went before them. Interesting. In chapter 3, the first time we saw Yahweh visit them or appear, Yahweh came as a burning bush, and he came and explained what was going to happen. Now, in the Exodus, it's not a a point-in-time presence. It's a going-with presence. His presence stays with them. It's an increase in the intimacy, an increase in the relationship. There's more of that interconnectedness that they have now with God by God's own doing and God's own design. And Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Okay, those are not two different pillars. Those are the same pillar, one pillar. But this pillar has at its core fire. It might be their attempt to explain lightning. Outside of it is thick clouds of darkness. By day, when the light is shining, you see the thick cloud of darkness in a giant pillar leading these people. By night, when the sun is down, you can clearly see the fire emanating. You see the power of this. You see the ability to protect these people. And protection is what God is after here as he leads them. This is that, 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 that deepening of the intimacy in addition, when we saw this originally, this, uh, this burning bush that was not consumed by fire way back in chapter 3, it referred to this as the, the 
the angel of Yahweh. And we took time to explain that that angel is one particular person of the Trinity, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And we explained that it makes sense. Jesus Christ is the one that fulfills the, the ability for them to uh, be saved or delivered and then carries them through. It's what we see in the New Testament with our new covenant. And so when, we, when we're here, some of you might say, eh, I don't know. I think I'll just call it the Godhead. It's God. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable saying that it's a particular person. Okay, that's called a theophany. That's fine. Theologians have held on to that one for a long time. There are other theologians that say, no, every time you see the, uh, the angel of Yahweh or the angel of El, El or Elohim, El is just short for Elohim, the angel of God, the mighty one, there's always a reference back to the second person, and that's where I happen to hold. I don't say that you have to hold that clearly to me. It seems consistent with the Bible that we have the second person of the Trinity who is bringing about the deliverance, just as we see he has brought about the deliverance in the New Testament. So we continue on. Uh, let's see. A pillar of cloud to lead them along the way by night and a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. They're moving quickly. They're not stopping. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. It means it's continual. God's presence is continually with them. We talked a little bit about that. Now, are you ever tempted in your walk, as you listen to this today, are you tempted to say, well, if God came before me today in a pillar of fire or a pillar of clouds, of course I would follow. I'd see his presence. That's easy. I just go where he says to go. That's the way they did it. They have it so much better than me. You would miss the point of the new covenant. You would absolutely miss the point. God was present in the sense that all the people corporately could see and follow. By the work of Jesus Christ, his death on a cross, he has made it possible that our sins are atoned for. They, the, the price for our rebellion against God, that which separates us from God, has been paid. And so now we are able to have the Holy Spirit indwell us individually. The person of the Holy Spirit individu individually dwell each of us. What an incredible blessing that is. Do we overlook it because we want, hey, you got to give me something I can see. Do we overlook the truth and, and downplay it? Hopefully not. I do sometimes. I need correcting, whether it's from my wife helping me get, gain perspective again, or I recognize my own grumbling, and I go, wow, I'm missing it. I've got the presence and the power of Christ here with me. The, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ in much of the New Testament. And yet I'm over here grumbling like, like I'm doing this alone, like I'm not, I don't know what's, what's right. And how is it that I know what is right? Who inspired and gave us the Word of God? That would be the Holy Spirit. He inspired all of the authors that wrote that. Who is the one that when I uh, take time in my day, in my early devotion time, I start my time of devotion looking and reading at the Word of God? Who is it that I, that I ask to illuminate the truth of Scripture? 
God, would you have the Holy Spirit illuminate? That is, allow me to read it in a way that is intelligible to me. Allow me to read it in a way that the author, uh, excuse me, you as the author, wanted me to interpret this so that I might know, I might gain wisdom. This is the Word of God, the title, one of the titles given to Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. And we have it manifest by way of a person in Jesus Christ. But the truth also is true that it is documented, it is recorded for us, that we will know the way. So whatever your difficulty is, one of the things I said to you was that you need to tr- do all you can if in the midst of a difficulty. No one's saying, oh, you know, you really stepped in it. You just need to deal with it. You know, you just need to live there. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible uh, encourages us to deal with it by way of, you break it down into three different uh, categories in your mind. First off, as it relates to my ability to control the situation, what's my influence on it? M, what is the law? What does the law, what does, what's, what does God have to say about this as it relates to sin or not sin? Is my situation based on my sin? If it is, I need to change my sin and stop it. Okay, if it's not, then what's the next step? What do I do, God? And again, you are praying to the Holy Spirit to help guide you in this understanding. You're reading the word that gives you wisdom. So the next standing is wisdom. You've got law, sin or not sin. Okay, not sin, great, I'm going to keep moving. Now wisdom, now what do I do in the midst of this? And you read or you talk to others that are more mature in the faith. You allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. Uh, If you do that, you're going to be back into sin. Don't do that. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin. And then, let's say you have more than one choice. You, through wisdom, there's not just one way. You realize, God's given me an opportunity. I could take this way, and that wouldn't be sinful, and that would be godly, and that would be good. Or I could do this way, and that meets the same standard. What do I do? You have liberty. Liberty in the faith. Pick one of them and move forward. And knowing that God is going to teach you in the midst of that. That's the truth on, on how we move forward. We need to remind ourselves. Listen to this. This is from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Christians, I cannot tell you the, n- the number of Christians that have come to me and told me, I just sense that God is leading me this way. That is a dangerous statement. What do you base that on? Is there scripture that can back it up? That, the, that there is a principle in scripture that says this is a godly option. You realize the Mormons feel the warmth in their bosom and that's the means by which they determine what they're supposed to do? That's terrible. All of the Hallmark TV, the, the Christmas time stuff that I, we, we just watched during the way of this, you know, this Christmas season, the message there is just follow your heart. Let me read to you again what, what, what this scripture just said Proverbs 3 5 through 6. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on what you think apart from the word. Do not lean on what your feelings feel apart from the word. Your feelings should be dictated, driven by the truth of God's word, and then you act on that. And listen, to, I'm going to end this, uh, this passage in Proverbs with the, uh, Proverbs 6. Again, this is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Verse 6 says, In all your ways, 
Remember, we're having a sermon based on the way. In all your ways, acknowledge him. When it says acknowledge him, the idea is that you have gone to him to, to read his word, to study, to, to seek the Holy Spirit's illumination of the truth and, and to give you that, that, that understanding that you were headed the right direction. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He didn't say he will make your paths easy. The idea is straight as you're walking the narrow path of righteousness. You're growing in the Lord. You're growing in your faith. You're bringing honor to God, and you're showing people a way that is distinctly different than that moving sidewalk of the airport that everyone just is quickly moving down, almost as if something's in their back pushing them when they get on it, and it just seems so comfortable. You going the wrong way, it's like them looking at you going, why is that guy doing that? Why would she not do that? I mean, what, what's going on? It causes them to look and say, how come they don't grumble? How come they talk about trusting their God? How come they talk about, no, I, I've learned a lesson in this time that has been very valuable. Well, it's, it's hard. Why is it valuable? No, it's valuable because it is hard because God gives it value by teaching us what we need to know. Let me leave you with this. The easy way is not the way. Three short points. The easy way robs you of the opportunity to grow in understanding the love of the wisdom of God. Number two, the easy way cheats you out of experiencing God's faithfulness in your life. Number three, the easy way deprives you of the intimacy of a relationship with God, with God who desires to save and continue to save you. Let me, let me leave with a reminder of our takeaway today. Let us trust in God's wisdom, his faithfulness, and his presence in leading us through this life, which we know is the way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almost oh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this reminder on this day. I didn't choose this to preach this because uh, I changed the scriptures that we would be teaching. You have led us to this day to, to be taught this. And so it's, it's apparent to me that this is what you want us to know. This is what you want us to, to comprehend. And this is what you want us to apply. Help us, Father. Help us not to forget it. Even if you have to use tomorrow's difficulties, help us remember that those difficulties, if I'm not the one bringing them about by way of my own sin, those difficulties are the necessary way, and they demonstrate your love for me. And in Christ Jesus' name we pray.